0: Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. Well, we're looking forward to tonight jumping into a brand new sermon series, um, and looking forward to diving into the scriptures here tonight. Um, I just want to begin by talking about something I mentioned last week, and there was a snowstorm last week. We had one service, and, and there wasn't a whole lot there, so I'll just, as a reminder, I'll just uh, encourage you all to do this. Um, I would just encourage you, whether it's a verse a day, or a chapter a day, or whether you're deciding to committing to reading the whole Bible in a year. There's some people crazy enough right now that are doing it all in six weeks. It's called The Shred. Ask James about it. Um, He's a beast. Um, but whatever the case may be, this is what I want to encourage you to do at whatever part in your journey you are. Commit to doing this. Read something from the Bible every day. Even if it's just one verse. So maybe you think like a chapter a day or reading the whole Bible is really daunting. What I want to encourage you to do is read something of the scripture every single day. There's an amazing Bible app called the YouVersion Bible app, which I'm going to reference here again in a second. But you can do a verse of the day on there, and it'll read it to you. And it'll have someone explain to you that verse every single day. And so I want to encourage you to develop the habit on your phone or with an old-school physical copy of reading the scriptures every day. And here's what I'd say about that. I have very little concern for people's spiritual lives that are spending every single day in the scripture. It's not because I don't care, because I do. But if, if I know someone has developed a habit and rhythm of staying in the scriptures every single day, I know that over time, that individual has learned to feed themselves spiritually. And through the ups and downs and trials and tribulations that we experience, the scriptures will always bring you back to true north, to Jesus. And it's not that you won't go through hardship. Hear me out. You will. But if you have a habit embedded in your life of reading the scripture, I have little concern about your spiritual well-being long-term because the scripture will always bring you back to Jesus. Now, the opposite's also true is I would have concern for you spiritually if you don't have a habit of being regularly in the scriptures. Because if you're not being formed by the scriptures, then you're being formed by something else. Because the powers and influences in this world and with inside of us and, and, and in the air, the, the, the influences are way too strong. And the, those will shape you and mold you. And that's why one of our anchor points here at Coastal is to be in across our network is to be scripture rooted. We'll stand on and be shaped by the word. And you know, Christians all across the world make a regular habit of what's called devotions or reading the scripture every day. Did you know what the number 1 best-selling book is every single year? The Bible. It's the Bible. They stopped posting it on New York Times because it would be the number one best-selling book every single year. I, uh, if you, if you open up, this is another time. This might sound really weird if you're new to church. I want to encourage you to go on your phone while I'm preaching right now. Okay, do it if you want to, and go to your app store on your phone or whatever they call Samsungs for whatever people that have other non-iphone phones. And do me a favor and go on there. Literally, you can do it while I'm preaching. I won't be offended. And download the Version Bible app. It's called the Version. It's a little thing. It's called the Holy Bible. And it's the Bible in your phone. And as you go on there, um, it's the ability for the Bible to read to you. And if you go on there, one of the things that you'll see is how many people have installed and downloaded the Bible. And it literally is updating as I go. So, so far since this Bible app has been created, there's 639,672,131 people that have downloaded the Bible. Now it's 155, 59, 64, 69, 74. It just keeps going up, okay? People are reading the scripture. It's not just an archaic thing for days long ago, but why? Why this book? Why every week? Because there's a lot of opposition to the Bible. You've probably heard some of these questions if you're either a believer in Jesus and you've had a conversation with someone that doesn't believe in Jesus and they bring up questions about the scripture or you're here tonight and you either are a believer who has questions or you're skeptical about what the scripture has to say and you're here tonight because you're genuinely curious, but you've got a lot of questions about this book right here. And so maybe one of the questions you have is, how can we be reading something that's this old in 2024? Is it outdated? And some people have this view that because of humanism and how advanced we are as human beings, we've kind of evolved past what the scripture says. Maybe that's your view, which I don't think that's the case. We, maybe, maybe you had the question about some people saying, well, we don't actually take it literally, do we? I mean, it depends on which part. That's why you need to actually understand and study the scripture. There's some things that are poetic and some things are metaphor and some things are like hyperbole. It's like an exaggeration to kind of kind of drive home a point. Like plucking someone's eye out. Like Jesus used hyperbole to drive home a point. And this one book contains 66 different books. This book is like a library. And it has 66 books in it. And all of them have different purposes and reasons. And it's broken into two sections. And so reading them all the same would be actually unwise and unhelpful. Maybe you've had the question, isn't the Bible just a book full of rules? Now, it does include some guidance and some boundaries. But it is so much more than just a rule full of books. And maybe you think, well like back in the day when people were illiterate, only the pastors who studied could read the scripture. Maybe you think that's just for maybe pastors or ministers or for super Christians. But as you understand who wrote some of the scriptures, they were, some of them were uneducated people. You know, some people that wrote the scriptures, you know what they did for occupation? They were fishermen and they wrote the very words of God. So if they wrote the very words of God, Ordinary people who are uneducated people who just had been with Jesus, I dare say that it applies to us. And it's not just merely for the educated. And I think the real question that maybe you're wrestling with tonight, and in particular that people wrestle with outside the walls of the churches, can I actually trust it? What What if it's lying to me? Like, what if it's just a big conspiracy? What if I'm being tricked into something? How, like, How can I like rationally and intelligently base my life on this book? And that's where I'd like to spend the remainder of my time here tonight. And I'd like to talk about four ideas as to why we can actually trust the scripture and base our lives on it. The first one's this. We believe the Bible is actually inspired by God. We believe that God inspired the scripture this is what the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 to 17 it says all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work now it's one thing to say you should just trust the bible it's the bible the bible says we can trust it so we can trust it i mean That works for me as a follower of Jesus. Like, one of the things that I've heard uh, preached before, which I agree for me. For me, this works. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Like, for me, as a follower of Jesus, who knows Christ, who walks in relationship with him, when God says something in the scripture, I believe it, and that settles it. But there's a whole lot of people wired differently than me. There's a whole lot of people that don't believe the scripture. And so using that as a starting point is not helpful. They need to know rationally why. And the rational reason for us is we believe that the scripture has actually been inspired, not by mere man, but inspired by God himself. And as we look at the scripture, we, we come to understand that it's actually written over across 1,500 years, and there's 40 different authors, some who were kings and poor people and scholars, some fishermen, some poets, some historians, some doctors, some prophets, some priests. There's more and more. But 40 different authors who were, lived different lifestyles, and it's actually written in three different languages. But what's crazy about it is it all tells one large overarching story. Not a fairy tale, a written account, a story. One overarching story. With one purpose. And we believe that God actually ordained and inspired people to write a seamless story that's tied together in what we have today called our scriptures. We believe that God was writing his story. And we believe that God guided ordinary, everyday people like you and me who were inspired by the Holy Spirit with their gifts with their shortcomings, and with their personalities to write what we have here today in the scripture. We believe the scripture is inspired by God. And we also believe one thing that helps us trust the reliability of the Bible is the importance of early manuscripts. Now, for some of y'all, you might glaze over on the ne- this next point. Some of y'all might just because you're more of a heart person than a head person, and I totally get it. I'm probably more of a heart person myself. But this is is really cool how we can actually trust the Scripture. There's a process that is called textual criticism, where they actually put Scripture in any other literature under the microscope to prove whether it's actually legitimate or not. It's not just willy-nilly, we believe it. You actually put it to the test. And by putting the Scripture to the test... And doing what's called textual criticism, we can prove whether this is reliable or not. And so there's four questions as it relates to textual criticism that scholars take with the Bible. The first one's this. Do we have the original? The second question is, if not, how close to the original? The third question is, how many copies do we have? And the fourth question is, how consistent is the message across the copies that we have? So, For instance, for Jesus in our New Testament, we have four written accounts, eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do we have the original copies? The answer is no. If not, how close to the original do we have? And we actually have 30 to 60 years from the events of Christ, we have copies. And we have portions that go back to 125 AD, and we have full Gospels written by 300 and 400 AD. So the third question in this critique of the Scripture is, actually, how many copies do we have of the, Bible, of the Scripture, of the, of the Gospels? We have 5,800 copies. And what's crazy about the consistency of the message, the fourth question, is that the 5,800 copies we have historically of the four Gospels are extremely consistent. So why does that matter? Why does does all that history matter? Well, take like another example in history that all of us believe is actually true. Like, we all believe that Julius Caesar existed. They teach it in universities. No one really questions that reality. And so you use the same kind of test to go towards history, things like that. Like, do we have the original account of Julius Caesar? The answer is no, like the Bible. We don't. Okay, if we don't have the original copy, written history of Julius Caesar, how close to the original we have? We actually have 100 years from the events, and we have copies 900 years after that. Okay, the third question, okay, how many total copies do we have? We don't have 5,800. Guess how many we have? 12. You see where I'm going here? How many of you question Julius Caesar actually was a person and a thing? Almost nobody on the planet. And yet we have 12 copies of a historical account of Julius Caesar. And how many copies do we have of Jesus in the four Gospels? 5,800. So biblical scholars have a great level of confidence that what's written in here is actually historically accurate. And across the copies that we have, the 5,800 of them, It's extremely consistent. So we can have confidence in what we have here as reliable because of the amount of manuscripts that we have. The third reason why we can trust the Bible is the quality of witnesses. Maybe you've heard that, man, like, it's just a big conspiracy theory. A bunch of people got together over a bonfire, sang kumbaya, and made up all these stories. To make us feel good, to make us as humans have a sense of the afterlife that makes us be able to deal with the problem of death, or whatever reason you might have, I know I'm sounding a bit snarky, sorry, I'm not trying to be snarky, but like, maybe you've like come to that conclusion, or you've heard people say that, but the problem is that that doesn't quite add up. If you look at the quality of the people who actually wrote down the written accounts of scripture. Luke is one of those people who wrote the book of Luke and Acts as two volumes. You know who Luke was? A doctor. And he was writing to a well-respected person named Theophilus, giving a logical, detailed, written account about the things that happened with the person of Jesus and after the person of Jesus that Jesus did in and through what we call today the church. And this is what Luke says in his gospel. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3D. Not only was Luke one of the eyewitness accounts, but Paul here writing in 1 Corinthians is, is talking about other eyewitness accounts, some of which help write the scripture. This is verse 3. It's in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time of writing, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. These were eyewitness accounts of people that saw the person of Jesus, that wrote down the accounts that we have in our scriptures here today. And not only do we have people in history that write about the person of Jesus, but we actually have people that were in opposition to the Jesus movement that wrote down about the person of Jesus, Josephus was a Jewish historian who was not a follower of Jesus, and we have written historical accounts that he wrote about this person named Jesus. And even in the scriptures themselves, we have people who were in opposition to Jesus, and they were referenced here in the book of Acts. The Bible teaches us here in Acts chapter 5 that the high priest and the whole senate of the people of Israel were enraged with the apostles and wanted to kill them. I don't think they were aligned with the Jesus movement. <laughs> I don't think they were rah rah and cheering on the apostles. Matter of fact, the scripture says they were enraged and wanted to kill them. They wanted to put the kibosh on the Jesus movement. And we have this preserved in history in our scripture. And the Bible says Gamaliel was... One of these guys that were part of this Senate got up and said, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fall. It will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to opposing God. If this was just a mere thing of man, Gamaliel is saying, it's just going to fizzle out and die. We would not be talking about this 2,000 years later if this just fizzled out. Because they had other movements that happened. That were of man and just fizzled out. But here we are in Barrington, Nova Scotia, 2,000 years removed from this story and this account that happened historically, still telling the story about people that opposed the Jesus movement. Amazing. God preserved his word. And you know, maybe the most amazing thing about these quality of witnesses is they were willing to die for their testimony, for their eyewitness account. Even in this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 5, they were celebrating because they were suffering for the sake of Jesus. And many of the disciples went on to suffer and die for their testimony about the person of Jesus. You know, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know that word witness to testify? It comes from the Greek word martus, and it's where we get the word martyr. Someone that dies for their testimony of faith. Some people that wrote the scriptures we have here today were persecuted and suffered And yes, some even died for their written and verbal testimony about the person of Jesus. And so we can trust what the scripture says because people were willing to die for what was written here in the text. And the last one, and maybe this is my favorite, of how why we can trust the Bible, is we have evidence of biblical archaeology. Like, It'd be one thing to say that this was just a made-up story, and it's got all these places, and, you know, uh, my wife and I are right now uh, watching through my favorite movies of all time. I finally convinced her to watch them with me. Um, And she's been a trooper, which has been awesome. My favorite movies of all time are The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I got some whoops and some laughs. All right, I just thought you guys were all going to think I'm a nerd, but you might already think, but that's okay. But I love The Lord of the Rings. And Jared Tolkien is an amazing author, and he made up all these places. He actually made up the language of Elvish. Like, he made a whole language on his own. But all the places, all the character, all the stories, it's all made up. It's all something just to make an awesome story, and an awesome story and account it is. We don't have it in the Bible. The places referenced and mentioned in the Scripture, and the things that happened, a lot we can actually go and see. I was in Israel a couple years ago, and I was a place called Hatzor, which there's this one little line in scriptures in Joshua, which is like 1,500, like it's 1,500 or 1,200 years before the time of Christ. And there's this one throwaway line that says, and Hatzor was burned. And you can go to a place called Hatzor with an archaeological dig, and you can discover stones from around the 1,200 century that actually were burned. And you can find time and time again throughout the scripture stuff that's referenced both in the Old and New Testament that's actually validated historically by archaeological evidence. Probably my favorite archaeological discovery and evidence for the scripture was found when I went to Capernaum. Capernaum was Jesus' home base of operation. It's where Peter's house was. It's where he did a lot of his ministry and was based out of there. And I went, when you go to Capernaum, there's this synagogue. And they did dating on the synagogue because in the 3rd and 4th century, another synagogue was built on top of it. And you can actually look at the stones that were from the very 1st century in the synagogue. And so our our guide is actually a historian, and his name is Monty Luker. And he said, there's firm, firm historical grounds. In other words, we know for certain that this synagogue was actually the synagogue where Jesus himself performed a miracle there's no question. You can go to the synagogue, the account that's written in scripture about Jesus healing a man. You can stand in the very place where Jesus healed someone. This is not just a story. It's not just a nice thing. We have historical evidence of the claims of scripture. And so you can actually trust what the Bible has to say. I'm invite the worship team to come at this time. And I could talk to you about the Dead Sea Scrolls and all the different copies we have uh, of the scripture. There's all kinds of actually rational, logical, historical reasons why we believe what the scripture says. And ultimately, the story of scripture points to one purpose and one person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. Once you believe that this scripture's actually reliable, once you believe that this is actually trustworthy, then you can get into, okay, now that I believe that the Bible is true, what's the Bible really all about? What's the purpose? What is it trying to communicate to me? And it's trying to communicate to you that God, once and for all, sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins. So you could be forgiven for your sin, brought back into right relationship with God, and live a life abundantly in this life, and live life with him forever for the rest of eternity. That's what the scripture actually points to. That's the the key to the scripture. And Jesus is actually the key to interpret all of the scripture. Because all the scripture is actually pointing to Jesus. In one instance, after Jesus was resurrected, the Bible teaches us, he was on the road to Emmaus with these two people. And he kind of disguised himself from these two people. And as they were walking along, they were pretty sad and depressed about what just had happened. They were followers of Jesus. And Jesus asked them, like, what's going on? And they begin to tell him, are you the only one around Jerusalem that hasn't heard about what happened? how just Jesus, who came on and said he was the Messiah, did all these signs and wonders. But, but he suffered at the hands of man, and now he's done. And Jesus said, you foolish people, didn't you understand from the scriptures that this Jesus, this Messiah was to come and suffer and rise again? And then the Bible actually teaches us that Jesus took the scriptures and starting in the first five books of the Bible, starting with the writings of Moses and the prophets, Jesus walked them through everywhere in the Old Testament that pointed to him. Man, I wish I was there that day. I mean, us preachers fumble along here and try to explain to you from this Bible how it points to the person of Jesus. But man, to be there that day and have Jesus, God himself, explain perfectly to a T exactly the bridge from the Old Testament that points to his reality, man, that would have been awesome. I ought to take some notes. And it goes on that they still don't know it's Jesus. Jesus. And the story goes on and they get to the house and Jesus breaks bread, a practice he would have done with his followers. Matter of fact, he taught his disciples beforehand that this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. The meaning of the cross, his death and resurrection was for the forgiveness of sins. And the Bible actually teaches us that when Jesus began to break the bread, their eyes were opened, and they realized it was him, and boom, Jesus was gone and disappeared. And the Bible actually teaches us that these disciples were like, whoa, it's not in the scripture, but. But the Bible actually teaches us that this was their reaction. This is the question that they had. Didn't our hearts burn? Burn. Within us, as he talked with us on the road and explained the scripture to us. You see, once you believe that this is trustworthy and reliable, it's at that moment you can have an encounter with the living God and God can begin to speak to your heart. And your heart can burn with the reality of God's love for you and his word to you. God wants to speak to you through his word. And it's my heart that you would just not only grow to have a logical understanding of the scripture, but that the scripture would begin to shape and form you into the person that God's calling you to be. And that happens not just through merely understanding the ins and outs of scripture. It happens when we enter into the scripture with the person of Jesus And he begins to apply the word to our hearts with his touch of heaven. Just stand near your feet. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.